You're listening to Sweet Talk, all things maple. Welcome back to Sweet Talk. Recording from our sugar house at the Cornell E-Line Forest in the Adirondacks, I'm Adam Wild. Joining me from the Arnott Forest is my colleague and co-host, Aaron Whiteman. Hello, Aaron. Hi, Adam. It's great to be back in the studio. You're in the process of remodeling your sugar house at the Arnott Forest. How is that going? Well, the construction is pretty much done. We have a nice new building with good electrical service and new plumbing and nice washable walls and a cement floor. And the next step is to install our evaporators. And although the sugaring season seems like it's a long way off, it has a tendency to sneak up on us, so we're getting started with that right away. That's great. Sounds like an exciting project. Yeah, it's been a really great transformation. So Adam, I often hear claims or get questions about the health benefits of maple syrup, and sometimes there are claims that maple syrup is considered to be healthy. So is there any truth to those claims? Yeah, I also hear those same anecdotes as well. You know, and as maple producers, we like to market the positive attributes of maple products, but it's so easy to kind of stretch the legitimacy of maple syrup health benefits. Right. We know that maple syrup products are less refined and have trace amounts of minerals. But can we say that it's a healthy food product? For example, is maple syrup okay for folks with diabetes? Those are all great questions. But you and I, we're not nutritionists or human health scientists. So I recently had a conversation with Dr. Davindra Serum to learn about what nutritional aspects we can use to market maple syrup. Dr. Serum is a professor and chair of the Department of Biomedical and Pharmaceutical Sciences in the College of Pharmacy at the University of Rhode Island. He's actually a natural product chemist and has been studying compounds within maple. Wow, that sounds interesting. And I'm excited to hear what he has to say. So let's have a listen. Hi, Navindra. Welcome to Sweet Talk. Hi, Adam. Thank you for having me. Super excited to have you as a guest on Sweet Talk today. You bring such a unique perspective to the maple industry. Your expertise and research focus is within natural product chemistry. So I'm curious, what is a natural product chemist and how did you come to within the maple industry through that background? Adam, as you said, I'm a professor in the College of Pharmacy. And as your listeners, I hope they know this, but if they don't, nature has provided humans with many medicinal compounds, many of them which are drugs in their current form, but also nature in terms of medicinal foods and medicinal plants have been used for centuries by ancient cultures, and even in modern times, extracts of plants and teas and beverages and herbs, which are used as a first line of defense against diseases in many parts of the world, also by many traditional systems of medicine. So as a natural product chemist working in the College of Pharmacy, my group's interest in part are to isolate and identify what within plants are responsible or could impart some of the biological health beneficial effects. So why maple? To your second part of your question, I was actually moving jobs. I was leaving the West Coast. I was working at UCLA, and I was moving to the East Coast to come to the University of Rhode Island. And this was in the late 2007, early 2008. And little did I know, because I'm an immigrant, about maple. In fact, I was very ignorant. I I did not know, and I have heard that many people do not know that pure maple syrup is not pancake syrup. At any rate, so I'm moving to the East Coast and I'm looking for something, a new project, a new plant, a new natural product that I could work on in the lab. 
And it was very clear that in the eastern part of North America, that the maple plants are, are endemic and their chemistry was unexplored. So long story short, that's what got me interested in maple. Fantastic. You bring a unique perspective into the maple industry. And so what are you finding within maple syrup? Yes. So we started uh, looking at the chemistry of maple sap and syrup in 2009. So we've been doing this for more than a decade. And over the time that we have studied maple chemistry, all of our findings have been published in peer-reviewed articles. We actually have a website hosted by the University of Rhode Island. If the listeners are interested, they could check it out, www.uri.edu forward slash maple. We've compiled and collated all of the research papers published by our group, as well as others on maple chemistry. So to answer your question, Adam, as to what we found, we were very interested in identifying what within SAP are potentially going to impart biological health beneficial effects to SAP and hence to syrup. But our chemistry investigation is beyond looking at sucrose. Everyone knows that maple syrup is a sweetener and it has its major sugar being sucrose, 63 to 65% sucrose. So we were not looking at sucrose. We were not interested in the vitamins and the minerals and the amino acids and the organic acids that are well known to be present in maple syrup. So this work is already published and, and well known. What we were more interested in were to find out if there are compounds present in the sap itself. And since your listeners know very well that sap is concentrated to become syrup, it's also boiled to become syrup where you're actually creating the unique flavor and odor that maple syrup is well known for. We were curious as to whether there are a chemical class of compounds which are known as polyphenols. And polyphenols are well known within the plant kingdom to be present in healthy plant foods, including colorful fruits and vegetables and grains. For example, broccoli beverages, for example, like red wine and, and coffee and tea, berries. So we were interested in finding out whether there are polyphenols present in the maple sap and whether these compounds would survive and persist in syrup during that cooking process. And indeed, Adam, to answer your question, we have identified and published on more than 67 bioactive compounds present in maple syrup. Wow. Those 67 compounds you found within the sap are also still there in the finished syrup. Yes, most of them are. So that's a great question. The majority of the polyphenols that we found were present in sap and persisted in syrup, but there were also a small proportion of them which were being created during that cooking process. We actually named one Quebecol after the province of Quebec in Canada, which leads the world's production of maple syrup. But Quebecol was a good example of a polyphenol which is derived during the cooking process. Do those polyphenols, do they give any flavor to the finished syrup? They do not. They're not flavor compounds. However, the darker the grade of syrup, the higher the level of the polyphenols. And just has to do with the biosynthetic pathways in the plant. But I just want to establish that no one should be chugging maple syrup to get polyphenols because it's still a sweetener. 
of course, if you want polyphenols, go and drink green tea, et cetera, uh, you know, and eat your healthy plant foods. But if you're choosing to eat a sweetener, we want consumers to know that, look, beyond sucrose, you're also going to have micronutrients, which include the vitamins and minerals, as well as these phytonutrients, which include these uh, polyphenols. Yeah, that's uh, disappointing. We shouldn't just necessarily be chugging it, but that's <laughs> an important point to make. As a maple producer, can we market maple syrup as being healthy? We, we believe that we need to educate consumers about maple syrup, and we call it, quote unquote, the smarter sweetener. And there is great evidence in, in animals, in animal models, where studies have been designed to compare maple syrup versus sucrose solution. And I like to call maple syrup having the triple whammy of macronutrients, which includes you know, the sucrose, micronutrients, vitamins and minerals, as well as these phytonutrients, that it's superior in totality and the synergistic effects of the multiple constituents with sucrose will make it more health beneficial versus refined sugar alone. And indeed, animal studies have, have shown that. So yes, if I were to give my kids a sweetener to use, or I'm choosing to use a sweetener either as a topping on pancakes or waffles, or beyond that, you know, to sweeten my coffee or tea or make cocktails, as you, Adam, you and Aaron have kind of examined all already, you know, I would choose to use this martyr sweetener. Okay. So it's not healthy per se, but it's a, a smarter, it's a better choice over other sweeteners. Exactly. And, you know, being in a pharmacy college and being very conscious of sugar consumption, everything, every food should be consumed in moderation. And indeed, I like to say, drizzle, don't guzzle. If you're not a sweetener consumer, this is not for you. But if you're looking for a sweetener, this is a natural product. There are no additives. That's just one ingredient. It's pure maple syrup. And therefore, yes, this is what we believe is a smarter sweetener of choice. Drizzle, not guzzle. Great recommendation. What about other sweeteners such as honey, agave syrups? How does maple syrup line up head to head against those other sweeteners? Yes, that's a great question. First of all, consumers should know that honey and agave, their major sugar is fructose and not sucrose. I don't know if that makes a difference, but there is some data suggesting that they're metabolized differently. But beyond, beyond the, the sucrose versus fructose, maple syrup, of course, has a great source of certain nutrients, including vitamin B, thiamine, or riboflavin, as well as certain uh, minerals like manganese and magnesium and potassium versus these other sweeteners. And I want to make sure that consumers know that Agave, of course, agave syrup is from the agave plant. Honey is from the honeybee. But this natural product is really this North American niche crop that comes from trees. We love to promote this and educate consumers about its sustainability, good forestry management, cultural significance, economic significance. So head to head to compare Maple syrup to other sweeteners, natural or not, you know, there is this connection for people in this part of the world to really support its, its use because by doing that, you're supporting the farmers and you're eating locally. Yeah, for sure. There's so much more of a story beyond maple syrup. It is, which is really mind-blowing for me, as I mentioned, you know, this is really the first agricultural crop 
of the East Coast for the year. And it's the true North American crop. Maple tapping has been around for centuries. This is one of the few agricultural crops that was not brought by the settlers. This was, this was here. The first people, they knew how to tap, how to collect sap, how to get it to some sort of a syrup. So this is really a wild craft, wild grown, pure Eastern North American crop that is really, I think, unique and iconic. And, and for me, I'm very passionate, not only about the chemistry and the health beneficial effects of this natural sweetener, but again, you know, the link and the human to soil, farmer to ground connection that really when you're using it, you should understand and appreciate what you have here on your plate. It's sweet for sure, but it's so much more than a sweetener. Yeah, that story, it is unique. And I think we sometimes take it for granted within the maple industry. We need to share that story and how it's coming from these natural forests and these forests that are doing so much more for the environment, you know, helping to stabilize our soils and filter water and sequestering carbon. There's a lot of unique aspects that we can share when we're marketing maple syrup. Exactly, Adam. And, and I believe there are many products which come from all over the world uh, and even California. Everything grows in California except for sugar maple and the red maple. You know, they don't have that. So this is really niche and it's really important to where we're living. And we don't want people to chop down more maple trees and put up more shopping malls. Why do we want to do that? So you keep doing the great job you guys are doing in New York at Cornell and, and we'll keep doing the great chemistry we're doing here at URI. Oh yeah, for sure. And you're bringing a, a very important research aspect that not too many other people are doing. I was looking at your website and seeing that you've been looking to expand the maple industry beyond just maple syrup, much like we've been doing with the Cornell Maple Program as well, looking at value-added products. And one thing you've created is a maple extract. What are you creating that from and what's your hope of using that maple extract for? Thank you for asking that, Adam. What we have done at, at URI in partnership with Quebec maple syrup producers is look at the very, very dark, off-flavored grade of syrup that you get to the very end of the season, which is body. People would never want to use it as a food. We saw this as not a waste product, but as a byproduct of the industry. And people take natural products as extracts, things which they take in capsules and tablets. A good example is cranberry. You have cranberry juice and people also take cranberry extract, which is obtained from the pulp of the squeezed cranberry so we saw this very dark grade of maple syrup as a byproduct, which we could remove or reduce the sugar content and then enrich it in bioactive constituents, vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients, which would then, and it actually does look like a very, it's very flavorful. It's a dark brown powder. We have named it MSX, maple syrup extract. We have studied it in animal models. And we are advancing this as a nutraceutical, very different from a pharmaceutical, but something that maybe consumers could take without the sugar, but to have the biological effects of the, of the minerals and the vitamins and the phytonutrients for some potential types of health beneficial aspects that we're looking at. Wow, that's so neat. Do you see that as something that maple producers can potentially make themselves, or is that something that maple producers would be selling some of that dark late season syrup to a production facility who's creating that on their own? Yeah, I think it's going to require some expertise to make a final product. So it could be an additional 
sales and marketing for producers and farmers who have that very dark, off-flavored grades. Imagine moving it into this industry site where we then go through the extraction process of removing sugar and enriching it in the bioactive constituents. Is that something that extract, is that something that would be sold to a consumer or is it something that you see would be used in some type of other food product or medicine or anything like that? Both. We think that this could be something that could be like a cranberry extract, would be a maple extract in a capsule, which someone could take, or as you just said, as a extract, which could then be an additive to fortify other foods to give the maple triple whammy that they would want without a sugar. Yeah, neat. Is it pretty intense in flavor? Like you can use that for making cookies or cakes that you want that maple flavor and you know, when you're adding maple syrup, as you know, probably easily gets masked when you're incorporating it into cooking products. So does that extract give you that nice, intense maple flavor that you want? Yes, that's a great question, Adam. And, you know, I would love to partner with you guys to pair this with chocolates and kind of move them together. We haven't done those type of testing as yet to kind of investigate different recipes and combinations. But I can tell you, it's a, it's very dark, free-flowing powder, smells like maple a little bitter aftertaste, as you like, as you uh, expect, because you know you've kind of extracted it. Yeah, almost like a cocoa powder type of thing, right? I was gonna say that, you know, Ovaltine or Milo. I'm from the Caribbean, so we Nestle product exactly. Oh, neat! I was also reading on your your website that you've been looking at compounds within other parts of the plant, like the leaves. What are you finding, and what do you hope to create out of that research? That's a great question. I was hoping you were gonna ask that, Adam. So we did some digging. Once we started looking into the plant itself, and it was very clear that the first people, the indigenous people of this region were using various parts of the sugar maple, as well as the red maple, various parts of the plant in their traditional system of medicine. So for example, they would take the bark and they would boil it and they would take it like a, as a liver tonic. So since we know that plants produce these natural products, and these natural products are not only in their sap in this case, but also in their leaves and in their bark and in their flowers, we sought to examine all parts of the different maple species. Imagine collecting the sugar maple leaves or the red maple leaves in the fall and extracting that and figuring out if we could develop, again, nutraceuticals, which we could utilize for for beneficial properties. Tea is a great example. Tea leaves have been consumed as a beverage for centuries. Cinnamon is a great example of a bark that's used as a spice. So we saw maple as this great magnificent tree that would provide us with a lot of beneficial properties. So to answer your question, yes, we have done a lot of chemistry on identifying and understanding what are present in the leaves in the bark, in the twigs, in the blossoms of different types of maple species, including the sugar maple, the red maple, the sycamore maple, silver maple, et cetera. And all of these work have been published. Oh, neat. It'd be cool to have a maple tea that's truly fully maple with maple leaves. Is there any product that is out there? Are there any things that a, a producer can potentially do at this point? Are there some teas they can potentially make? Yes, there's a different Acer species in, in Japan and in China. Acer being the genus of maple, if your listeners don't know. There's a one on Acer ginola, which is consumed as Kujin tea in that part of the world. So 
I think that there are some companies right now in Canada that are exploring taking maple leaves and developing it into a, a tea. We have shown in our work that the polyphenols found in, in the leaves of the red maple are of a similar chemical class as the polyphenols found in the leaves of the tea plant. So we believe that these can be exploited as a beverage. Maybe imagine powdering up the tea leaves and steeping it in hot water. We've also been looking at developing extracts from the leaves into beauty products. Many of the compounds have these anti-inflammatory properties. And since there is not much data to support the consumption of maple leaves, if leaf compounds are going to be consumed, if they're going to be safe or not, uh, we haven't done those studies as yet. So I want to caution your, uh, your listeners, don't go, don't go and chug leaves <laughs> either. Yeah, that was, that was my question. Is it, is it safe? You know, have you found, have you looked at that aspect? Maple leaves have not been in the food chain like, uh, like olive leaves have been or grape leaves. So those studies need to be done for sure. So I want to caution, do not go and consume kilograms of leaves. We have instead been looking at developing skin applications from the leaf compounds for cosmetic and beauty properties. Is there any caffeine in maple leaves? No, unfortunately. You mentioned the beauty products. That's kind of neat. And that's something we've thought about the Cornell Maple program as well, where you're using kind of extracts from the plants, not from the maple syrup for that, correct? Exactly. Yes. Extracts from the leaves or the twigs or the bark. And we're not promoting chopping down trees just to get leaves or bark, but, you know, maybe exploring pruning or getting the twigs or again, using the fall leaves. When you're looking at the leaves, have you looked at differences within the, the summertime foliage leaves and the fall leaves that have fallen? Because I know, you know, there are differences that trees will conserve, they resorb, they pull in nutrients and things back into the tree so they don't lose all of those. Yes, you, you are right. Yes, we have. We have published on, on this and the papers, again, are available on the URI Maple website. But yes, there are differences between summer leaves and fall leaves. The color, uh, which are pigments known as anthocyanins, develop in, in the fall leaves. So if those are not desirable, then you'll have to look at the green leaves, but the polyphenols are pretty consistent within summer and fall leaves. What about differences in the, you know, the leaf and the twig kind of chemistry, but also the, the sap and syrup? Are you finding differences between different species of maple? Yes, we have. So there are stark differences between the chemistry of, for example, the sugar maple and the red maple. Very, very different. And that's intriguing because the sap chemistry, on the other hand, is very similar. And so we have seen that the red maple is most similar to the silver maple in terms of the chemistry that's present in their leaves, whereas the sugar maple is quite distinct. Its chemistry is very, very different. Mother Nature is the best chemist, and it's, it's intriguing, but for sure there are tissue differences in the chemistry that we find among the different species. So just to clarify that, especially, you know, for our listeners who are mostly maple producers in the tissue chemistry, you're finding big differences, but in the sap chemistry. So what we're making maple syrup from, you're not finding very big differences from red maple and sugar maple. Cause there's a lot of, you know, old theories and history back there that, you know, people didn't want to tap red maple cause it's lower in sugar and there's some theories out there that maybe there's differences in, in invert sugars and polyphenols and things like that. But within 
those two species, you're not finding much difference in the actual sap that gets turned into syrup? Correct. Adam, you could not have say, said it any clearer. You are right. So the sap of the red and sugar maple, apart from the sugar content, are very, very similar. But the chemistry of their leaves are very, very different. So producers who are tapping red maple, you know, I encourage mm -hmm. it. In fact, the red maple is our state of Rhode Island. That's our state tree. I know for New York state, it's the sugar maple. So you have what you have. You know, you're going to get to, you'll get to your syrup once you get to your bricks content. Use the sap of the red maple if you can. Okay, great to hear. That's an important point, I think, for our listeners. Have you looked at differences in syrup from different regions? You know, whether it's syrup from Quebec versus Rhode Island and New York or Wisconsin. We have done some work. The majority of our work has been done in collaboration with the Quebec maple syrup producers. So we have worked primarily with Canadian maple syrup. However, that said, in our hands, looking at the syrup that's produced in Rhode Island from the red maple or even in Vermont, on a macroscopic level, they are very similar. I have no need to believe that the chemistry is going to differ apart from the mineral content, which would be potentially based on geographical location where the plants are grown. You can imagine having a, a tree that's in Vermont versus a tree that's in Quebec. The mineral content is probably going to be different because of the soil. Yeah, for sure. Another myth that I kind of want to discuss is I've heard mentioned here and there that maple syrup is potentially better for someone who is diabetic. But can you shed some light on those claims? That's a very tricky question. And I want to caution that if you're diabetic, then you should not consume sugar. You, you should you know, be careful uh, with what your physician is, is advising. But the myth that you mentioned is anecdotal. And I've heard it myself that diabetic patients can actually tolerate small amounts of maple syrup. However, that said, we do not, our group does not, and I don't think any health professional will encourage the overconsumption of sugar by any diabetic patient. So those studies have not been done. So I really want to be careful. You know, I would never say give a lung cancer patient a cigar. And this is a <laughs> similar situation. If you're diabetic, stay away from sugar. This is a sugar, hands down. Good. That's, that's good to hear. And I think that's important for our listeners to put that out there that we shouldn't definitely not be telling consumers that it could be okay for a diabetic. Exactly. It's a smarter sweetener, but it's still a sweetener. That's a great point. I think that's, that's kind of the key that we want our listeners to hear and you know, to use that for your marketing strategy and not be putting out claims that aren't backed up with science. Exactly. And until there are human clinical trials to really support those type of health beneficial effects, then we should not push those at all. Yeah. And you haven't quite gotten into the, the ability to do the human clinical trials. No, we have not. Unfortunately, maple syrup is behind. It's behind other healthy plant foods in terms of the research that's been put into this natural product. There are tons of research, for example, on tea, on berries, on tree nuts, like almonds, on walnuts. But maple is a, it's a newcomer to this whole field of, of investigating functional foods and what they can do. Even honey has been around for centuries and there have been studies on honey. So where we are right now in the trajectory of what we have done in terms of maple chemistry, as well as some of the animal studies that our group has done and other groups have done, there's a lack of human clinical trials on this natural product with one silver lining 
There's a group in Montreal led by Dr. Jonathan Tremblay at the University of Montreal who has been investigating maple syrup and maple sap in sports nutrition in the arena of looking at comparing sports beverages with maple beverages. Obviously, athletes need sugar, and therefore it makes perfect sense to compare sports beverages with maple syrup. And he has actually published at least two clinical trials with athletes consuming maple beverages, showing the same effects as they would get from a sports beverage. So apart from those clinical trials, which are, I think, very exciting, there have been no other clinical trials to really investigate maple syrup against metabolic syndrome or inflammation in the human subject. I'm sure those human studies are very expensive. You mentioned you have done some clinical animal studies. What are some of the trials that you have done with some of the animal studies in your lab? Right. So indeed, clinical trials are very expensive. Clinical trials are studies done in humans. Preclinical trials are studies done in the lab using uh, cells, for example, which we have done tons of those type of studies, as well as animal models. And we have done mice model studies, as well as other groups in Canada and Japan. All of these papers are on the URI website, if you're interested. But all of the animal studies have shown that maple syrup versus sucrose or refined sugar clearly has an impact, a positive impact on inflammation associated with metabolic syndrome. And chronic inflammation in the body is very dangerous. So there have been studies, again, supporting that the maple syrup constituents, the polyphenols, can actually impart anti-inflammatory effects in those animal models. I think I read on your website that you've done a little bit of work looking at Alzheimer's disease and even some work with cancer cells. Yes, those, again, the, the Alzheimer's disease studies are in preclinical models. We actually take, took that extract, the MSX. I mentioned previously the sugar-reduced, sugar-free maple bioactive enriched extract, and we studied it in, in nematodes for potential neuroprotective properties, which it did show, as well as we have done cell studies in, in terms of anti-cancer beneficial effects. But again, I caution, there have been no human studies to support those preliminary findings from our lab-based in vitro preclinical studies. What we've been doing is really building this foundation of data, of mechanistic studies that you will need to then advance to get into human clinical trials with, with this food. Yeah, you've come a long ways in a, a short amount of time, and we really appreciate the research that you have done for the maple industry. You know, you mentioned that maple syrup is kind of behind compared to some of those other food products that are out there. Why do you think it is behind? Yeah, I, I, I think in, in, in many, listen, research costs money. <laughs> yes, it does. Human clinical trials are expensive. Even the lab-based studies are expensive. So someone has to pay for research. Pharmaceutical companies are going to support studies on their drugs. Food commodity groups, I, I'll just use it as an example, cranberry, because we've talked about cranberry juice. Ocean Spray, which is the largest co-op of cranberry growers, they will obviously be interested in supporting studies to investigate the potential biological effects of their food. So other commodity groups have done this very well. The, the nut folks have done this. Berries have, as a group, including blueberries and strawberries and red raspberries and cranberries and so on. But as a group, maple syrup 
has not done this very well. And, and this gets back to the point I made earlier where our collaboration at URI with the producers in Quebec, they being the vast majority of maple syrup that's produced in the entire world, they were the ones who really kickstarted this work that we did. Subsequently, we got funding from the United States Department of Agriculture. So now that the pilot studies have been done with their support, now we were able to go to the federal agencies and say, listen, we have this great preliminary data. Now we need funding, but you know how competitive these grants are to get. So again, you know, I think if as a group and, and as a group, I mean, you know, the, the folks in the U.S. and the folks in Canada, the Maple Group, if you will, come together and say, well, of course, we want to increase the production of maple syrup. We want to have sustainability, good forestry management practices. But why don't we also try to investigate if this is a functional food and where resources are tight, if money is directed into supporting some of these types of studies and maple can catch up with the other healthy plant foods that I mentioned. So most commodities, as you mentioned, they have a lot of money and that money is coming not always from federal dollars, it's coming from the producers, right? And so that's why our, you know, our state or regional associations within the maple industry are important. And the membership costs for those are quite low if you look at other commodity groups. Being a part of those organizations and supporting those associations that are promoting the maple, whether it's marketing or helping fund research, is really important for, for growing our industry, right? And creating this new research like you were doing to help market the benefits of maple syrup. Exactly, Adam, because as a commodity group, we have to think of where are we going and how are we going to compete where the educated consumer is looking for better to eat foods. And with the stigma that sugar has, just like fats used to have back in the day, there needs to be good research supported and conducted to really understand the health beneficial effects of maple. And that's where I think a strategic plan needs to be made with all of the stakeholders kind of getting together in one group, working with the researchers and kind of having a, a plan forward so that we can survive over the next 50 years and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. So yeah, please steer your customers or yourselves, come to our website and take a look. It's www.uri.edu forward slash maple, or you can just go into your Google taskbar and type URI maple. You'll see the tons of information that we have. You can then push that to consumers, dietitians. We could try to pull them to our website. You can send people to me. I'll be happy to talk to them about the health beneficial properties of the Smarter Sweetener. Yeah, there is a lot of great information on the URI Maple website. Fantastic, Adam. Thank you so much for having me on episode five of Sweet Talk. I'm looking forward to hearing you know, what you guys will put forward in the future podcasts. Thanks, Navindra. It's an honor to have you and appreciate the time that you spent. Thank you, my friend. Well, Aaron, what did you think of the research from Dr. Sebram? Well, that was great information. I found his work to be unique within the maple world and extremely interesting. And it was especially interesting to hear about the wide array of polyphenols he found in maple sap and that they persist in the maple syrup. Yeah, it was really interesting to hear that darker grades of maple syrup actually had higher polyphenols. And I also found it really interesting that he did not find a difference in the chemistry of maple sap between different maple species. 
You know, outside of the sap sweetness, the sap of red maples was no different from sugar maples. Yes, that helped answer some of my speculations about differences between red and sugar maples as well. So as you know, Adam, I'm always thinking about new product development with maple. So I really love the idea of a maple extract that has all the benefits and flavor of maple, but without the sugars. That could have some real possibilities. For sure. I'm excited to see what other research Dr. Serum comes out with in the future that potentially could have health benefits. What he's finding in the lab right now is really promising, but for now, we should really recommend, in the words of Dr. Serum, to drizzle, not guzzle maple syrup. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Although it is hard not to guzzle maple syrup sometimes. I know that Dr. Sriram mentioned the cost and difficulty of human clinical trials, but it would be really great to see some of that research get done in the future. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Aaron. Actually, for our next episode of Sweet Talks, our guest is Dr. Jonathan Tremblay, a researcher from the University of Montreal, who is the first to conduct research with maple syrup on human test subjects. And he did that in comparison of maple syrup to sports drinks. Wow, that sounds fascinating. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, see you next time on Sweet Talk. Thank you for joining us for Sweet Talk, all things maple with Aaron and Adam. Sweet Talk is produced by the Cornell Maple Program and is made possible from funding from the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture. All music was obtained from Blue Dot Sessions. For more information on all things maple, visit cornellmaple.com. Join us next time for more Maple Sweet Talk. Have a sweet day.